0: Hey there, I'm Jo and this is Looking Outside, the podcast that explores new perspectives beyond the familiar. I am a CPG innovator and with this show, I'm seeking a fresh take on business topics with some of the most influential and original thinkers. If you find yourself curiously peeking over the fence at what is happening outside your market, industry or field of knowledge, then this show will help you to explore more of that. Hey everyone, today we are looking at transforming insights and specifically how stretching a core business to look deeper at today while looking further at the future can be transformational. And for this, we're going to hear from a business leader that has critically reshaped how I think differently about insight and foresight. I am so honored to have Manish Kaushik joining the conversation. Welcome Manish.
1: Uh, thank you very much, Joe. I think i'm I'm very honored to be talking to you about Foresights. Uh, I'm really looking forward to a chat today.
0: Me too. tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: I work in PepsiCo. I've been there for almost 15 years. I lead uh, a capability that's Foresights globally for PepsiCo and uh, an engine that we call Always on, which is a set of capabilities that allow us to track what our consumers are talking about.
0: So 15 years, uh, I'm I'm sure that you feel like PepsiCo is a second home to you.
1: It is, it is. I think uh, big chunks of my life and all the successes I've had have have been while I've been at Pepsi. So yeah, I, I enjoy working here.
0: So one of the things that I've been reflecting on um, in preparation for this chat is the fact that you have been in the industry for over two decades, which is incredible. And so you've had sort of a wealth of exposure across insights, foresight, strategy. And I think it's safe to say that within that time, there has been a lot of change in the external world. So 20 years ago, there was no iPhone incredible, Um, but also inside of a business setting. So the types of tools that we're using for analysis, the way that we present findings. I mean, PowerPoint was around, but it wasn't quite as pretty back then the way that we communicate inside of an office, there was no emails, even just the ability to quickly look something up, like a data report. Uh, so Google launched just around that time. Um, I remember having a PC um, during that time and you know, you left home for the day and that was it. You could fully switch off, there was no cloud. So actually, if your PC broke down, everything was lost. Um, so I'm sure during that time, you've noticed a lot of changes in the external world. And most companies we know are internally focused. They're don't really pay too much attention to what's happening outside of it, or perhaps they doubt a lot of the things that are going to stick during that time. Um, So if we think about the boom of the internet, the iPhone, collaborative workspaces, all of these changes inside of the external and business world, what's your reflection on how quickly businesses catch up?
1: That's a lovely question. And and by the way, it's hard to believe that there was a a phase when the iPhone didn't exist. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm going to you know, display my age a little bit. The first job that I joined in Insights, uh, I remember when it was in an agency and when we used to go and present to clients, one of our selling points on why you should hire us is because we had laptops in our office. (laughs) Um, So yeah, technology has moved on uh, quite significantly from that period. I think uh, it's interesting that you call out the world of insights uh, and marketing research. I think for a long period of time, we didn't really change. We are an industry that value the rigor, the quality of insights, you know, talking to the consumer or the person in the right way. So a lot of methodologies that we have used over the past few years have been really deep and have been absolutely correct. What's happened as a tension though in the last few years is that the business needs information far more quickly. And suddenly the tension that insights professionals are facing is, you know, I need to do this properly. Let me go chase that data. Whereas the business is saying, I need to make a decision really quickly. You know, what can you tell me about what's happening with our consumers? And I think that's where the world of insights got shaken up a little bit. And there were people who refused the change because, you know, you have to do it right. Uh, you're Australians. I'll talk about test cricket. Uh, it's it's a way of saying, uh, though none of your audience may understand, but a lot of people love test cricket and refuse to change. But there is a shorter, faster, and a different version that works as well. And I think the insights industry starts getting a shake up there. And I see that happening through companies like PepsiCo, Mars, uh, which are forward-thinking, but also a lot of smaller-scale companies that are now beginning to leverage that tension and have an opportunity to, to work against it. And I've seen that happen in the last three or four years as something that's exploded. Uh, and as more and more of us are you know, going online and talking about it, especially in the last few years, I think you started to see solutions pop up that are really quick, uh, probably just as good, and are really able to inform your decision-making. So to your first question, I think that's the big shakeup. We didn't change for a long time and then we suddenly started to change. And I do find that ironic because for for an industry that is really tuned to tracking change and how people are behaving, we refuse to change for quite some time.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the cricket analogy, I think, is really apt too because I think a lot of people said when Test Cricket came in, that's not real cricket. Like The way that you go about something has to be the way that it has always been done. Otherwise, it's not not real. It's not accepted. It's not credible. When we start to do self-run research or um, predictive analysis, even some of the things that technology, I think, comes in and overtakes the the insight expertise there's almost like a a doubt of credibility of how valid the results might be. Is that uh, a part of the struggle that you've seen in the insights industry in terms of moving and progressing with the times?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's also how we as people have changed, right? So in the old days, when we went and asked people, hey, you know, why did you select this? Or why did you behave like this? You know, they would open up and they would give you the answers. But even in those cases, there were sometimes rational answers. So if you're sitting with seven other people in a group discussion, you are a little bit influenced by who's sitting around you and you don't want to sound either cheap or stupid, so you say something that might pass. I think where we are changing is more around observing than asking. And in my opinion, in most of the cases, you can get a much better quality insight from observing for what people are saying and doing versus really asking them on what they're doing. I think that's the first big change. We really lack the tools for it. Uh, But now if you look at the ecosystem that's being developed, those tools are beginning to develop. And so you can actually do significant pieces of work without actually talking to a consumer, which sounds crazy. Like how can you, it's not consumer centric at all, but it is because you're still listening to them. You're listening to the pains or the tensions that they have, and you're able to convert them into something that you can work on.
0: And how has that moved to being more observational uh, and really watching their behavior? Um, How has that changed our understanding of consumers over that time? What's the biggest aha moment that you think we've had as an insights industry because of that?
1: Well, I think the Seju gap is is quite significant, to be honest. Uh, I did this piece of work where we looked at, um, with permission, we were recording what consumers were doing in their kitchen. And when we were asking them, you know, and if you came to my house, I'll do the same thing. I'll tell you my kids always eat nutritious food. Uh, but, you know, in the interest of time or convenience, you know, they might be eating less than nutritious food. And you can see that say do gap. And we see it everywhere, to be honest. Uh, if you ask mm-hmm. people if they, if they want to be fit, if they exercise, they'll say yes. But in reality, they may not do as much as they say. Uh, but I think they are, there's a lot more. They are a lot more candid when they are expressing themselves either online or when you're observing them than when you're asking uh, the questions. So I think that's one big change. The other example I have is uh, I did this piece of work around Gen Z, and I wanted to understand, you know, what challenges they have around mental health, and me, being a middle-aged guy, I would generally not talk about mental health openly. I try to now because I think it's really important and I'm a first aider. But it wasn't something that I did when I was younger. But the Gen they have no problem. They're happy to talk about it. You, they're, you know, teenagers, they are going online and they'll talk about what anxieties they have, what stress they have. They're happy to express themselves. So I think people themselves are changing. It's not just the tools that are changing, we are the tools are changing because when well, we now need different tools to, to capture those emotions.
0: So I wanted to ask you a question um, just on that. So I think, you know, Gen Z is a really great example of where in in business, in a business setting, whether it's marketing, sales, insights, foresight, we start to create these really clean and simple segmentations of that consumer group to be able to, you know, really clearly understand them. And it's so dictated by the years that they were born or the types of behavior that we see common within that age group. And then there's a lot of conversation, I think probably similar to the mental health topic where we, we talk about, uh, first aid, like you said, and then we talk about first aid for your emotions or first aid for your mental health. So our definition of Gen Z is starting to become a little bit in question. You know, like, are we trying to make things too simple for ourselves inside of a business? And are we really, truly getting at the heart of what they are all about as individuals? And how much breadth do we see in terms of, you know, the the different types of people that are generally considered Gen Z? Um, what kinds of uh, you know tools or resources do you use to be able to do that, to be able to go deeper into really understanding the nuance within a consumer?
1: For us, I think it's a combination of uh, what we call big and thick data. Uh, and that's the always on capability that I lead. We do a lot of listening through social listening. We try and understand what they're saying and how they're expressing themselves. And I'll just throw in a standard caveat for social listening because many people think it's, yeah, it's all about people just going on Instagram and just showing how great they are, which is true. Uh, but there's a lot of it, which is about not look at me, but look at this. So yes, look at me, I'm in a cool club I'm having fun or I'm having great food, but look what's happening to the environment or I really care about climate change, or I really care about, you know, the big thing that's happening around us in the world. And here's what we should be doing. Uh, so it does get a bit of a bad rap. So I think it's important. I think if you use it correctly, it's a, it's an important tool. I still think there's no replacement in observing or even spending some time with your cohorts in a smart way. And especially for for a lot of us who are not Gen Z anymore, uh, with with present company excluded, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, no, we need to be not. a little bit more connected, <laughs> yeah. So we need to be a little bit more connected to what they are thinking. And mm-hmm. for that, I think yes, there's no replacement with spending time and just understanding and what their passion points are. But you can supplement that with the other pieces of information. So you're absolutely right. I, it, it's it's easy to say Gen Z, and that says you know everybody in that 12 to 15 year period is is behaving the same way. They are not. Uh, their exposures are different. Their their tensions are different. But if you are spending time with them, you will get much closer to what they're really thinking.
0: Uh, I really love that. So spending time almost in the real world with your real consumers and just getting closer to them. One of the things that I'm super fascinated with as someone who has just moved from Australia to the US is the fact that you've worked in so many different markets around the world. So let me know if I'm missing anything. I've got US, Europe, Middle East, Asia, LATAM and China. Um, So I'm curious, each time that you jumped over into a different market and you experienced that culture, how has that changed your worldview?
1: So as part of global, I've worked in different markets. We used to run a consumer segmentation study uh, globally. And it's interesting because what we really netted up with in the interest of simplicity is that the motivations, the behaviors, the challenges that consumers face around the world are not all that dissimilar. They're quite similar in many ways. The way they express their manifestations are what is different so you know a mom in china is as worried about her kid doing well in school you know getting the right nutrition in uh, as a mom is in in the us or in india so now they may exercise different behavior to do that so somebody may be giving them milk with turmeric in china you might be getting something with walnut because it's good for your brain in the us it might be something else so I, I don't see the the underlying motivations differently. I just see that the actual manifestations of that is different. So both are important to track, of course, uh, but we are all the same people. And I think if anything, the pandemic has shown us, there isn't a lot of difference between borders. It's, it tends to be quite uh, well-connected.
0: Mm. So I'm really curious then, because I think what you say is so true, that the human motivations, the human needs, you know, how what we desire, what we need as human beings is so common across all parts of the world, across all generations. It's the way that they're enacted based on our environment that's different. So with that in mind, do you feel that when you're an individual inside of a work culture, that that is different to how we see our consumers. Often, maybe it's a reflection of mine, often I feel like who we are at work is so disconnected with what our consumers are doing and how they're acting and for us to even adapt to, you know, how we use technology inside of the workplace and how we build our strategies around, you know, more deeply understanding human beings feels so disconnected to how people are interacting in the real world.
1: I think that's insights' role, to be honest. I think uh, a big part of our role is, to be the voice of the consumer in the organization. And yes, the organization is, you know, might be in a different place depending on the consumer that you're tracking. Uh, but I think it's really the onus is on us and then everybody else. So uh, my leader, Stefan Ganz, always says that consumer-centricity is not the job for insights. It's the job for everyone. And that's true, right? Everyone needs to put themselves in their consumer shoes and really understand what's happening, because that's how you will make the right and better decisions. Uh, what we can do is provide the right tools and the right uh, approaches for people to be able to connect with the consumers, right? So I talked about always on, that's a good example. Uh, but there are various other ways that you can start really understanding what your consumer is all about. And in the end, the consumer is not a PowerPoint slide. It, it's just a human being like you and me. So, you know, take the time to understand what, you know, what Joe really cares about, you know, what were the Challenges you had when you moved from Australia to US. I'm sure it was a smooth transition during COVID. Uh, <laughs> yeah, easy. and uh, you know what are you what are you thinking about? So I think the more you can understand that, the better it is for the business to be able to take better decisions.
0: You know, one of the things that I really love and that you know I've been inspired by personally, but also um, our company Mars has has been inspired by is the transformation that you've had inside of PepsiCo for Foresight. So really creating the always you know the always on approach for insights really more deeply understanding human beings and getting everyone in the company to be human centric but then also now embedding futures thinking and predictive analysis and foresight into pepsico how does a transformation like that happen how do you get people to flex their their brains into that kind of a space
1: uh, great, and I think Mars does a fantastic job on foresight as well. And I'm sure you've done an excellent role in in being evangelizing foresight throughout the uh, throughout the industry. Our senior leaders have truly believed in this capability, uh, and they did it even before I would say pre-pandemic, right? So we invested in it both in terms of tools and in people. There was commitment to develop it. Uh, And I think right now, that's why we are enjoying the fruits of that investment. Uh, That is really important, that there is belief and commitment and ongoing commitment, not a yearly commitment. Uh, I think the second thing, to be honest, it's everybody has the question now, what's going to happen in the future, right? We've been disrupted by the pandemic and it's ongoing. So what do we plan for? People have uh, huge challenges and they're manifesting into the business. How do you really start planning for the future if you can't really get a thread on what's going to happen? So foresight is for me, one of the most critical capabilities that we can have. In the original world of foresight, we used to always say, this is what's going to happen. So I presented a lot of plans and my first page would be, here's what's happening in the world. It's becoming more tech, people are becoming more healthy. And as a result, I think this is what it's going to mean for us. I think that one version of the trip is a little bit simplistic. We now have to prepare for different parallel universe, if you want to call it, right? So think of the Avengers or Loki timelines. Um, there is going to be a different timelines and different scenarios, and you need to start planning for each of them. So uh, I give an example is if I'm going, I'm planning to go on holiday in February, there is a scenario that I will be able to go to India, (laughs) and I will be able to take that holiday. Mm -hmm. But equally, I am planning for something where uh, I hope not, but Omicron or something like that really spikes up, and I'm not able to go. I've already got three scenarios in my head, and I'm already planning for three of them. From a business point of view, it's a little bit more complex, but it isn't one trajectory. It truly is three or four or five different scenarios that you need to plan for. Uh, so I think what the pandemic has done for is is given fuel to that momentum, right? So uh, we are beginning to think about how do we plan for the future and how do we plan for different futures? Because one future may or may not happen.
0: Mm. Yeah, at Mars Lee, we we've spoken about this a little bit with this broader adaptability shift, as we've called it, where people are starting to become a little bit more uh, you know, hate to hate to use the word, um, but you know, agile in their thinking. So flexing, having a plan B, plan C, like you said, and so for our businesses to start to create that kind of adaptive business model mindset, I think is really, really exciting. It obviously takes a lot of new skill sets, new muscles being built inside of our organization or our business leaders to be able to do that. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable doing that, or they don't know what to do with it. Like once I have five scenarios. Which one should I start resourcing for? What should I do with that? What do you think is a critical capability skill when you're venturing into that space?
1: Firstly, you're so right. It is messy. It's highly painful because imagine you're talking to your insights person and say, okay, so what's going to happen? Well, this could happen, or maybe this could happen, <laughs> or we could say this would happen. It's mm-hmm. not that uh, loose. Yeah. Like, I don't care. Just tell me what's going to happen so I can start planning for it. Yeah. So I think the first to your point, muscle language that we need to build is to have this conversation where we are not going to give you a clear answer. There could be multiple scenarios and we are just going to have to figure out how to deal with them. Uh, For me, that's absolutely critical because usually in, well, in my experience, what I've done is try to be super clear and super simple. So I would give you one message, one version of the truth, and I would not deviate from it. But in this particular case, I'm actually giving you four messages. And what we're saying is that we now must plan for it. Once you get your head wrapped around that, and it takes time, uh, I think for us it's important to start figuring out whether the scenarios are going to happen. So as my holiday example, you know, sooner or later I will start to figure out whether I'm going to India or not. I'm gonna call it and say, okay, I'm gonna cancel this. I'm gonna go to plan B as you call it. Those metrics that I'm tracking are the singles, right? So I'm really tracking whether that scenario will happen. But I need to have option B to be able to activate it because I'm going to do it only in January, then I won't have enough time to do anything. So it is about a lot of preparation that is not necessarily the most efficient, but it is absolutely critical.
0: And I like that analogy too, because when you're preparing for different scenarios for your holidays, and then you transfer that into a business setting, like you'd think that a business would be really silly not preparing for something like that to happen, right? Which is, I guess, a similar scenario with, you know, we're stocking up our shelves with our products hey that you know we might be out of stock again or we might have cost inflation what impact does that have on our consumers and our buy rate so to not think about those alternative scenarios um seems like a really big risk from a business perspective
1: yeah and to be fair i think a lot of good strategists do do that and they do have it uh, in their plans Uh, i think the difference is will you be ready to execute it simply because in these years or in this time, everything's moving so fast. Uh, and so you really have to be super agile. You don't really have time to say, okay, this is happening. Let's think about what we should do. In normal times, you had that little bit of lead time. Now you really don't.
0: Yeah, very true, and I like that you use the word painful before because I do. I do think it's quite a painful process to go through, if we're being honest. And you know, we talked about what skill is needed in the business or business leaders to be able to take advantage of that kind of scenario planning. What kind of a skill do you think is needed inside of a you know a foresight practitioner or inside of even like someone in insights today that potentially is underleveraged at the moment?
1: Well, I think storytelling is important. Uh, you need to be able to paint a picture of the future. It's not necessarily always based on hard data, right? Because at the end of the day, if I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the future, I really don't have a hundred percent prediction power. Uh, so there's a little bit of a leap of faith and that's why I think storytelling is important, I think from a, there's a word that Stefan likes to use, which he calls human scientist, which is the art of quantum call. I really like that mm. because we have so much data now that you need to be able to sift through that data and really tell a good story. And I think that's where the human scientist comes into play. So in general, I think the, the role of insights practitioners is changing a little uh, where we are becoming more human scientists. Uh, but I think it's absolutely critical for foresights where you definitely have to be talking to business leaders, not necessarily a project or a report, but really just saying, Hey, is happening what do you think might happen based on what i just told you
0: i like the scientist angle too because it allows us to be really methodical about something foresight which is usually seen to be very artistic and finger in the sky um for a a lot of people that aren't close to it so it gives it a little bit of you know rigidity and it's it anchors it into methodical way of thinking absolutely fabulous uh well Uh, Manish, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for uh, everything that you've done to progress the industry over the last 20 years and all of the knowledge and the thoughts that you've shared on this podcast. I do have one final question for you, which is what your go-to is when you're trying to push yourself to always be looking outside.
1: I love to read and I love to listen to a lot of podcasts. So I I wouldn't say that it's anyone. I think a lot of podcasts like Scott Galloway's. he just generally talks about what's changing the world of tech, what's happening in economy. I think it's really useful because you're really tapping what's the underlying change and not necessarily what's happening with Apple or Tesla. That was the latest one. Uh, Here in the UK, we have some really good BBC podcasts as well, um, where they just pick a topic. And I, I found it quite interesting. So for instance, they talked about, you know, Denmark's red van, where they're trying to have a project reducing harm to women selling sex in Copenhagen. And I think that's a big cultural overview of what's happening uh, in Denmark as well. But they pick up different topics like the economy, like COVID. Uh, So honestly, I just listen randomly to anything that comes from my way. So if there's anything that you are listening to or or your audiences, please tell them to shoot it to me.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love going down the rabbit hole of podcasts and just discovering (laughs) something new. So fabulous. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me. Always fun talking to you.
0: I hope you found Manisha's first hand experience in transforming his business insightful. If you like the show, I'd love it if you could follow and rate it. Until next time, this is Joe. Keep looking outside.